We come now to 1 Peter chapter 5. As you're turning there and thinking about uh, lessons from an old shepherd, I'm uh, reminded of those, those students who applied to a college, and one of the questions on the application form was, how would you have answered this? The question was, are you a leader? And one young lady applied to the college, and she looked at that, and she thought about herself and thought, you know, I'm not really, and so she just answered, no, I'm not a leader. Thankfully, she got an acceptance letter back from the college, and the college said, we have noticed among our incoming class there are no less than 1,491 leaders, and they'll need at least one person who will follow. The apostle Peter, standing beside the Sea of Galilee, heard Jesus say one more time, follow me. And because he followed, he was able to become a leader. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And hear the word of the Lord together this morning to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Please, please be seated. Leadership is influence. I think about that proverb that says, he who thinketh he leadeth when nobody followeth, taketh a walk. <laughs> if you think you're leading and nobody's following you, you just take in a walk. And the apostle Peter was called by God. Remember, we might have thought when he denied Jesus three times, he was disqualified, and yet he received a recall. And once again, Jesus said to him what he had said that very first time our story Tomorrow from Matthew 14 for our 700 children. This place is going to come to life tomorrow. And the story is of Jesus looking at Peter beside the seashore with his fishing boat and saying, follow me. And Peter did. And for three years, he followed Jesus. And then he denied Jesus. And then Jesus gives him another chance 
The good news is our God is the God of second chances. He's the God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. I don't know which chance you are on, but I couldn't help but notice the word example. It was in that passage in chapter two. We should follow in his steps because Jesus' suffering shows us an example. And then here it is again where he says we give an example. Somebody said there's this chain of exemplary behavior. Leaders set the example by our lives so that others will follow and others will follow the ones who are following. So watch this. Christ is the example for Peter. Peter is the example for these elders. The elders are the example for the flock. And that flock in the first century was the example for the second century and the third century coming all the way down. I mean to say, you're in the chain. You're in the chain of exemplary behavior that comes earlier generations of believers point the way for us. And all we have to decide every day when we get up in the morning is, Will I or will I not follow Jesus today? And Peter seems to say to the leaders in the church in the first century and the 21st century, all of you who lead here in any way, why are you serving me? Chuck Swindoll says when he entered the ministry, Chuck, who grew up uh, here, in this play, where's Cecil? Cecil grew up with Chuck Swindoll here in Houston. And, and when he went into the ministry, after he got out of the Marines, I suppose, and he went to his first church, his sister gave him a sign to put in his office to remind him. And the question that the sign asked was very simply, what is your motive? It's a good question for pastors, for leaders in the church, it's the question that Peter proposes to those early leaders in the first century. He gives some examples of why not to be a leader in ministry and then some reasons why they, they should. God is still looking for elders who will shepherd his people willingly, serve eagerly with integrity, and set an example for the flock. And Peter the witness of Jesus' sufferings. Peter says, I saw him there in the courtyard when he had been betrayed and they were about to march him off to a trial and plait a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they were about to put a robe on him and then they were going to strip him and give him a cross to carry and I, I was a witness to his sufferings and I'm challenging you as elders to be shepherds over those whom God has entrusted to your care, to watch over them, not to do it grudgingly, but willingly, not so that you can gain money, but so that you can eagerly serve. Set an example. First, notice we are to shepherd the flock willingly with all our ability. It's as if Peter is saying in verse 2, Serving the Lord is not a have to, but a get to. You ever find yourself saying about something you're doing for the Lord, I have to? No, it's not a have to. He says, I get to. I get to serve the Lord. Watch, let me just unpack verse two for us because it's too good for us to miss. 
Be shepherds of God's flock. That word shepherd keeps coming up. Remember Jesus said to him, uh, shepherd my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my flock. That's the commission. And so now Peter is passing that on to another generation. And I remember the first time I read this passage to Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, I was 19 years old telling them as an elder to the elders. As the years go on, I've begun, to, I've begun to embody that word elder. It can mean just an older person, but clearly here it means a, a leader in the church. And he uses all three words. He uses elder, he uses the word pastor, he uses the word overseer or bishop, episkopos in Greek. And he uses them, if you'll look at it, interchangeably. So the idea that, well, there's an office of elder and there's an office of pastor and there's an office of bishop in the early church at least Acts chapter 20, and here also, they're interchangeable. And he says, I'm an elder. He really was older at this point. And he says, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings, and I'm telling you to be a shepherd of the flock that is under your care. Whose flock is it? Notice in verse 2, it's God's flock. So just so you know, I know, you don't belong to me. You're not um, a resource for my ministry, but you're God's people bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I get to shepherd you for a season, but I'm just an under-shepherd. It's God's flock. And the assumption is that those who shepherd are also those who care for those. It's not enough to love to lead. I know pastors who just love to lead. And sometimes in our conversations I say, it's also good to love those whom you lead. So it's one thing to love being a leader, and it's another thing to love the people whom you lead. I would dare say about Tallowood, you all have turned out over these years to be very easy to love. And I remember at Nelson Mandela's funeral, Ms. Joyce Banda, the president of Malawi, said, I've learned that leadership is about falling in love with the people, and the people falling in love with you. He says, you watch over them, not because you must, but willingly. I think about that guy who woke up one morning, his mother woke him up and said, uh, you need to get ready for church. And he said, give me three reasons why I should go to church today. And she said, well, here they are. One, it's Sunday, and church is a good place to be on Sunday. And second, it's only 40 minutes until the service starts. And the third reason is, you are the pastor, <laughs> so get up. <laughs> and go to church. Sounds like for him it was a have to, not a, a get to. I think of George W. Truett, for whom the seminary that meets on our campus is named. He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas for almost 50 years. And here's what happened. Along the way, he had other opportunities. For instance, at one point, Baylor was in a lot of trouble, and they came to him and said, we want you to be our president. And he declined. And by the way, if they ever asked me, and they haven't, so would I. But his answer to that was, I have sought and found a pastor's heart. So that's my story. I wanted to be a pastor. I remember one Sunday I was preaching. You may remember this, you may not. But I, I was preaching and I said, 
Folks, I am living my dream. This is what I always wanted to do. This is what I felt called to do when I was a young teenager on a retreat and I surrendered. That's what we used to say. I surrendered to the ministry. It's like God just, you know, just uh, arm wrestled me down and said, you got to be a pastor. And I surrendered to ministry and I'm living my dream. I'll never forget that Wednesday night. I was walking through our line there to receive food. We were eating together as a as a church family, and as I was walking through the line, I said to one of our guys, I don't know if Forrest is here this morning, but I said, Forrest, how you doing? He said, I am living my dream. <laughs> I'm serving the food on Wednesday night. And the deal is, he was doing what God called him to do. And there are no menial tasks in the body of Christ. It's all about service. So we shepherd God's people willingly. Second, we serve God's people eagerly with financial integrity. So we're not pursuing dishonest gain. That's the NIV. Anybody remember the King James Version? Anybody got the King James Version? Not greedy for filthy lucre. I'm telling you as a young pastor, I didn't know what filthy lucre was, but I knew I didn't want any of it. <laughs> Don't give me any of that filthy lucre. In contrast with the character in the movie, Gordon Gecko, who said, greed is good. The truth is, a recent survey says most people don't think greed is good. In fact, they think it's the worst of the seven deadly sins. It's, it's worse than any other sin. That's what one recent survey said. But then the same survey asked them which of the seven deadly sins they were guilty of, and greed came in last. Everybody thinks it's awful, and nobody thinks they do it. Leading Tim Keller, who went to be with the Lord recently, simply to say... Uh, greed hides itself from the victim. The greedy are the last to think and know they are greedy. Did you know you can be poor and greedy? Greedy doesn't assume how much you have. It just assumes the focus of your attention. It's a mindset. The world, the church owes me more. I, I just, I want to be a voice on behalf of what Peter says here to say to you, church, we are so grateful for what you do for us. And there's not a day in my life where I think, oh, that church just hasn't been good to me. They just haven't been very kind to me. That church just hasn't really cared about me. And the challenge of ministry is, is to believe that God will provide for us, to know that he will, and not to live constantly thinking, oh, they owe me something more. And he says, no, you, you don't serve that way, but instead you are a servant and you are eager to serve. I know our zeal will be contagious. I think about Melanie and I, about a year ago, we were in Santa Fe and this may surprise you, but it was cooler than Houston in Santa Fe, 8,000 feet up in the air and it was drier. And there's a church there called St. Bede's Episcopal. And over the entrance of the church, over the only entrance of the church, the only exit from the church, it says, servant's entrance. If you go in that church, you're saying something about who you are. And as you leave, you're saying something about who you are. We serve God's people eagerly. Third, we set an example for God's people with authentic humility. Jesus in Mark 10, 42 to 45 says, you know um, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. We love a strong leader who'll take charge and be mean to everybody. 
That's the way the Gentiles do it. But Jesus said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And why? Because of our example. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Did you know that? Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I was talking with an older pastor years ago, beloved pastor, great man of God, and his father was a pastor. And he said, you know the advice my dad gave me when I was a young preacher? And I said, no. He said, my dad said to me, be careful with relationships and with money. And before he could finish the sentence, I said, and power. And his eyes got really big and he said, what do you mean? And I just read Richard Foster's book, Money, Sex, and Power. And I said, one of the ways preachers get in trouble, not only money and relationships, but power. I commend to you a series, an audio series called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's about a mega church in Seattle, Washington. I have family members up there. It was amazing because nobody, I hate to say this if you're from Seattle, I don't mean to offend you, but back then nobody went to church in Seattle. And this guy plants a church and it grows to thousands in Seattle. And it's just like, I mean, he's on the speaker circuit and he's the toast of the evangelical world and nobody's leading like this guy's leading. It turned out nobody was leading like this guy was leading because he was a bully behind the scenes. And he was unkind to the other staff members and leaders. And if you disagreed with him, there was, there was um, his way and the wrong way. And eventually, the church imploded. How much did it implode? It's no longer there. I'm telling you, 15 years ago, it had thousands and thousands and thousands of people going to church. And I asked my relatives in Seattle, I said, so, so who goes to Mars Hill? And they said, there is no Mars Hill. So when he says, we, we do not lord it over you, what he's saying is, pastors are servants. We're not here to lord it over you. Instead, he commends to us a, a different kind of life. He says, set an example for the believers. I love what Albert Schweitzer said. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. To be an effective leader, you have to be able to say, do as I do. Or as the apostle Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Can I just say to you, church, follow me as I follow Christ. But if I don't follow Christ, don't follow me. Don't follow us if we're not following Christ. How will you know if we're following Christ? Well, do you see Christ in us in the way that we shepherd and love and serve? And this is the accountability that we have. And I've said to you so many times through the years, unaccountable pastors will come to no account. So to whom do we give an account? Well, in this church, it's the personnel committee. And really, it's the whole church. We work for you. But it's also this realization, as he says there, that someday we're gonna stand before the chief shepherd. We will answer, we will answer. This is why my work with you is so important. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse seven, the writer of Hebrews makes this very clear where he simply says to us, uh, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. I assume I'm in that category. Consider the outcome of their way of life 
and imitate their faith. Look at verse 17 in Hebrews 13. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority. That's in verse 5 of 1 Peter 5. Because they keep watch over you as those who give an account. So let me just be clear about something. Again, James chapter 3, verse 1. Don't everybody be a teacher. Because those who are are going to be judged more sternly. So here's what I want you to know about what I think about what I do. I think someday when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to give an account for the way that I shepherded you and effectively for the way you chose to follow Jesus. This is different than joining the Mac, isn't it? It's different than joining uh, Life Fitness. I mean, you can go to Life Fitness, you can sign up and never go back. And as long as you send your check in, you're a member. And nobody there's probably gonna call you because that lessens the demand on the equipment. But here's what you need to know. When you unite with the body of believers, the pastor comes with the deal. And he's gonna answer, I'm gonna answer for you someday. So I care how you live. I care what you do because I'm gonna answer for you. So if sometimes when I'm preaching, it feels like I'm meddling and you think he's getting in our business, let me just say to you, it's because I'm gonna answer to God for it. And that's why I teach you the word of God. And my expectation is just as you can expect of me that I do this eagerly and willingly and set an example for you. My expectation of us is that this is not just a club membership. That to unite with the church is implicitly to say, I am in and I am all in. And whatever God leads us to do, and this is what it comes down to, as we move into revival and come out of revival, we want to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. We want to start Bible studies that will grow. We need right now more and more teachers who will lead young adults in Bible study. We need to to uh, continue to multiply the work that God is doing. Just to be honest with you, I come in here and I pray with some of our deacons every Sunday morning, and there's not an usher there to hand out the worship guides. I remember we always used to have an usher, but now we don't have an usher. So if your thought is, I wonder what my church can do for me, here's my thought. I wonder what you can do for your church. And we're willing to serve you but we're asking you to serve. And, and here's the thing. You say, well, pastor, I'm just not very talented. I can't do that. I love what Robert Murray McChain, one of my favorite pastors said. He said, remember, you are God's sword. You are his instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument will be the success. Here it is. It's not great talent that God blesses. I am a living testimony to that. It is not great talent that God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. That's how you evaluate me. Am I becoming more like Jesus? And here's how I'm gonna evaluate you. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Because that and that alone 
is the goal. My favorite leadership story, and I close with this, Frank O'Connor, the Irish writer, and he tells about when he was a boy and they would be hungry and there were apple orchards and they would pick apples from the trees and the farmers figured it out, so they built tall walls to keep them from picking the apples from their trees. And sometimes they would come to a wall and they would see these delicious apples and they would think, how do we get to those apples? And they would try to climb over the wall and he and his buddies couldn't climb over the wall. And finally, one of them would take his hat and he would throw it over the wall. And then they knew, we're not leaving till we get over that wall. When Jesus ascended that hill called Golgotha, I'm telling you, he threw his hat over the wall. He committed. He was not, there was no turning back. He, he no longer had any plans of his own. He was doing what the Father had called him to do, facing one direction. And I'm telling you this morning, Tallowood, we collectively, those whom you've entrusted with leadership as the pastors of your church, we are throwing our hats over the wall. And all you have to figure out is, are you coming with us or not? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus who set the example so that we could follow and set the example. Lord, raise up leaders in this church. Raise up servant leaders. Lord, let there be no doors without ushers at Tallowood Baptist Church. Lord, let there be no empty classrooms where a fellowship of young adults could be growing and thriving. Lord, I pray that you will build your church on servant leadership as we follow the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us deep humility, Lord. We have every reason to be humble. But I thank you, Lord, that when we humble ourselves in your sight, you promise you will lift us up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.